Hello and welcome to Parle, our weekly discussion podcast. I'm Deep Sampath, the Hindu's social affairs editor and your host for today. This week we are going to be looking at the Special Marriage Act 1954. This law is generally seen as providing protection to interfaith marriage and as an option for those who want a civil or secular marriage rather than a religious ceremony. Now with states such as Uttar Pradesh and Madhya Pradesh coming up with anti-conversion laws that target interfaith marriages the special marriage act is back in the spotlight while many see this law as a shining example of secularism others see it as part of the problem they believe it is this law's failure to deliver what it promises that is protection to interfaith couples that is prompting individuals to convert at the time of marriage Today it is these marriage linked religious conversions that are the ostensible target of anti conversion laws. So what kind of an animal is the special marriage act? Was it protecting or was it red flagging interfaith marriages? And why is the Indian state hell bent on interfering in matters of the heart? To answer these questions and more, we have with us two eminent legal experts, Professor Faizan Mustafa Vice Chancellor of Nalsar University of Law and advocate Veena Gowda a leading women's rights lawyer who has been practicing in the High Court of Bombay Family Court and other trial courts for more than two decades Faizan Veena thank you so much for joining the Parley podcast Thank you Sampath Thank you Sampath for having us Thank you so uh, let's start with uh, with, uh, with a basic question uh, uh, Professor Mustafa I'll direct this to you first Uh, why was the special marriage act 1954 enacted in the first place what was going on before then say from 1947 to 1954 in independent india that there was felt a need for this kind of a legislation sampatha we need to go prior to independence you know the original special marriage act was enacted in 1872 and this was moved by a very eminent jurist of historical schools sir henry maine who was the member of the legislative council and a letter was written and a kind of campaign was launched from 1860 onwards by brahmo samaj especially keshav chandra singh seeking simplistic marriage ceremonies and it is this initiative which led to this special marriage act but there was a problem in this special marriage act the problem was that the law required if people of different faiths want to come together and lead married life they need to renounce their respective religions so we realize our, after our independence that by 19th century standards the mere fact that this law paved the way for interfaith marriages it was a good first step but its requirement of renouncing respective religions is not compatible with modern ideas of liberalism individualism and the autonomy of the individual and therefore 1954 law replaced this 1872 special marriage act and this requirement that you will renounce your religions was removed basically this law sampath is the first step in the direction of uniform civil code if you want liberal modern secular progressive laws we said to begin with let us experiment it on the voluntary basis so people of who are having interfaith marriages they register as well as others can also register under the special marriage act and the effect is that once your marriage is registered under the special marriage act your personal laws will not apply now there will be a general secular progressive law say indian succession act which will apply or say the divorce will happen only through uh, the intervention of the court so special marriage act is a very progressive legislation all those who advocate uniform civil code and then they want to do something against the special marriage act are having some kind of you know confusion in their mind if our goal is uniform civil code 
then we need to encourage interfaith marriages and we need to provide for progressive uh, laws so a special marriage act uh, was a progressive step of course even in the special marriage act uh, subsequently we made a provision which tried to uh, nullify its progressiveness because we said if two hindus have married under the special marriage act uh, then they will not be governed by the progressive indian succession act but they will be governed by their respective uh, personal laws i find the uh, provision inserted in 1976 is extremely problematic okay okay so how would you assess uh, the role of this uh, this legislation and the impact it has had uh, Uh, from the time it was enacted uh, till the till the present day veena would you like to pitch in on this issue uh, on the practical side of uh, the law but just coming into uh, uh, to what uh, professor uh, mustafa said i think the while i agree yes uh, on paper in principle uh, the amendment that was brought in that if two hindus marry under the special marriage act then they will continue to be governed as per their personal laws uh on paper does seem regressive i think somewhere uh, it possibly led to a few more people opting to uh, register under the special marriage act because i think the confusion about what would happen to the property rights of people marrying under the special marriage act was also one of the reasons uh, why not too many marriages were being registered under the special marriage act is what i would uh, think so this may have uh, helped but uh, i don't know what professor uh, mustafa would uh, uh, think of that uh, but coming to uh, its role and impact i think uh, the special marriage act uh, i mean uh, not uh, sufficient was not sufficiently used uh, uh, in india i mean the time when we used to use it actually was for example when people were going abroad now if people two hindus married under the uh, hindu marriage act the certificate used to be called memorandum of marriage you know which was not then recognized by certain foreign countries while issuing visa or whatever documentation so therefore then you would uh, register it under the special marriage act earlier under the uh, indian divorce act that is applicable to uh, christians uh, mutual consent was not available and uh, uh, so therefore then if you wanted a mutual consent if two parties had married under the indian uh, under the christian uh, law then you would ask them to marry under the uh, special uh, marriage act and of course it was used even for interreligious uh, 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 marriages but i would think not uh, sufficiently so and uh, like professor mustafa said i mean it has to be seen also as that first step to a uniform civil code and it's always been also called the optional um, uh, uniform uh, civil code but i think uh, the process and procedure was seemed to be a little uh, a little tedious so uh, while uh, under the hindu marriage act it was um, i mean registration was not even required is still not uh, required to that extent uh, marriages are performed is then sufficient evidence uh, that uh, the mad- a valid marriage uh, has been performed registration to that extent is uh, optional so therefore i think um, you know um, it, it was not very encouraging for people to register marriages under the special marriage act and i would think that it's not been sufficiently uh, utilized and used okay uh, faizan would you agree with this assessment that uh, and specifically about uh, inter religious uh, marriages how would you uh, assess its uh, its role and impact no sampat uh, vina is right uh, that uh, the special marriage act did not uh, achieve the kind of success it was intended to achieve but that is speak volumes of unpreparedness of our society in terms of having uniform laws of course i am not a great votary of uniformity of laws in my opinion a uniformity of law is not such a big deal what is important is that we have just laws so i am an advocate of uh, you know pluralism you may have number of laws if all such laws are gender just it is fine with me but the mere fact that most of us continue to marry under our personal laws uh, say if you are a hindu you are largely following the uh, satpati marriage if you are a muslim you are having nikah and very few marriages are getting registered 
that should demonstrate that the society is not yet ready to involve uh, court or public institution in purely private relationship. This is another way to look at it. But the way the UP ordinance and now the MP ordinance uh, uh, are telling is like this, that your privacy doesn't matter, each state will control your intimate personal relationship. And that is wrong. I think ideally had a Special Marriage Act been a huge success and more and more marriages have happened under the Special Marriage Act, that would have really paved the way for, you know, adoption of uniform civil code. So I concede that point that, well, we are not yet ready. Uh, okay, that's fine. But if someone wants to use a Special Marriage Act, someone wants to have interfaith marriage, I think the state has no business to even ask that you will put up a notice that you want to marry. You see, the whole problem is that Special Marriage Act, when it came as a, as a law, that notice requirement was largely to look at the question that the, this man should not be having an already living spouse or should not be marrying a minor. So that was the purpose. Today, this notice requirement is an invitation uh, to the you know uh, uh, moral policing being done by the extreme uh, rightist organization and the way you know they harass people who are uh, even coming to register their marriage or enter into a matrimonial relationship uh, under this act uh, is deeply disturbing uh, as a civilized country. If two people want to marry, I think uh, people have no business to object to it and. I feel that uh, now Supreme Court has finally admitted this petition where the constitutionality of this provision will be examined. And if right to privacy judgment, which is a nine judgment judgment is to be accepted, there is no way that this notice requirement, you know, can be sustained as constitutional. Okay, uh, Vina, would you like to add anything to that? Yeah, I think uh, one is I agree uh, with Professor Mustafa when we say that what will, I mean, it's not uniformity of law that you're actually um, looking at, but uh, equality in that sense. I mean, we are a country that still only has what are what are the matrimonial rights that women have uh, within marriage? Is actually literally a right to uh, maintenance which also the manner in which the courts pass these orders are a monthly maintenance. I mean, we still get 500 rupees, 1,500 uh, rupees, etc. And we have not even progressed towards what we would like as matrimonial property. You know, I mean, we have the Domestic Violence Act, which applies to all uh, um, uh, religions, irrespective of how you've got married, gotten married, uh, etc. In situations of violence, women have a right to residence. I think the rights, I think the state should focus on what are the rights that uh, women can get or spouses spouses can get within marriage, you know, and move towards a more equal, more modern, more progressive uh, law and not uh, um, not engage itself so much with the manner in which the, manner, uh, which, uh, the marriages are uh, performed. Uh, you know, because I mean, it, I, this is a ceremony of marriage. This is uh, how I wish to uh, legalize uh, my marriage. And I think that should not be so much the concern of the state. And on the contrary, they should say, okay, once you've married, what is the effect of it? Uh, you know, and that is where that's what uh, they're not doing. And on the contrary, with these ordinances and these uh, uh, laws, uh, I mean, uh, you're literally uh, telling people, I mean, while the, while the, uh, while, uh, you're literally telling people that you don't have a choice and the state will uh, interfere and the state will control uh, what you do uh, in your personal life. Uh, Bina, you made an interesting point about uh, uh, how, where the state's prerogative for lawmaking lies and that it should, it should be focusing on the rights of uh, women and, and in ensuring an equitable partnership rather than the manner of uh, marriage. And in connection with that, you said something about matrimonial uh, property. Are you saying that uh, women, uh, in terms of what, what did you mean by uh, matrimonial 
property here. Are you suggesting it should be an equitable law across religions? Yes, I do think so. I think we should have piecemeal legislations instead of one uniform civil code. I don't think, uh, I mean, even the Law Commission two years back said that uh, this is not the right time for a uniform civil code. It's difficult to envisage such a large um, uh, such a large change within the law. And what some of us have always said is that you must have piecemeal legislations. Like, for example, how you have the Domestic Violence Act, which then deals with situations of violence. Then maybe you bring in a matrimonial property regime, which will apply to all um, uh, religions across, whereby women have whatever it could be, like how there are in certain Western uh, jurisdictions, um, um, common property, a matrimonial um, a property pool. How do you divide this property? Because in India, it's possible that you could be married for 25 years, 30 years. And you walk out of a marriage, all you get is a monthly maintenance. And for example, if the woman is earning and she's earning um, a pittance compared to that uh, of the man, then she doesn't even get that right. So literally, she all the only right that she would get is uh, a divorce. So therefore, yes, I would say that you the, the state must move towards uh, having piecemeal legislations, which would be a uh, right to matrimonial property that would uh, uh, apply to uh, a people across religion. Okay, okay. Uh, Faizan, there's one uh, interesting uh, question here. Uh, we, we spoke earlier about how uh, Indian society as such doesn't seem to be ready enough for the progressiveness of the Special Marriage uh, Act. And that could be one of the reasons why uh, it's not being used as much as it should be. But on the flip side, uh, is the act adequately protecting those couples, say uh, specifically interfaith couples who do seek uh, some kind of protection for their marriage? I mean, like, suppose somebody uh, in India wants to, uh, a Hindu and a Muslim want to marry and they need uh, the protection of the state. Does the Special Marriage Act offer that kind of protection at all, even if they want to use it? No, thank you, Sambat. Before I answer your question, let me add, I entirely agree with uh, Veena on the matrimonial property law. The problem is we still don't recognize the domestic work performed by the uh, women in house as work. Uh, I remember in 2012, Justice Gangli was shocked to see that uh, the household work uh, uh, and, uh, and housewives were clubbed. Uh, together with beggars and with uh, prostitutes uh, and this uh, maintenance thing you know uh, uh, strangely the credit may go to those who oppose the shahabano judgment because until uh, shahabano judgment the maximum maintenance one could get under section 125 was 500 rupees and when this law was passed to overturn this uh, uh, supreme court judgment uh, then uh, there was no limit in that law. And therefore, Simon, subsequently, this 500 limit was removed. But Veena is entirely right that in most cases, the amount which will be eventually awarded uh, will be a very, very uh, a small amount. But taking forward in terms of theory, what Veena is saying, she is absolutely right that when a state intervenes in personal matters, it should be creating right rather than uh, creating rights, rather than taking away rights. In the recent UP ordinance or the proposed MP ordinance, my problem is it in no way enhances you know, the rights of women. Rather, it takes away their rights, it compromises their agency, and it tries to regulate the bodies and sexuality of uh, women. I think Hindu women uh, is worst affected by this because what basically these uh, the intent of framers of these laws is that the Hindu women don't know what is good for them and somebody else will decide for them that uh, they can be allured and they can be induced and even adult Hindu women uh, can't take right decisions. You recall the Hadia uh, judgment of Kerala High Court. Here was a woman who was 21 years old and the High Court is saying, you know, the parent should decide whom she will marry. She may not take the sound decision. Ultimately, the Supreme Court had to intervene and uphold the marriage. You see, what I am trying to say that a special marriage act uh, uh, coming, you know, within first decade of our independence was a progressive legislation. And at that point of time, our society was so good 
that nobody thought that once somebody is registering his marriage uh, uh, in the court or marrying under a special marriage act, there will be another member of the society who may object to it. But today you see that yesterday we completed one month of the UP ordinance and as many as uh, about uh, 49 people or so are in jail, uh, most of them are Muslims. Uh, and in most cases, it's the relatives of the women who are making complaint or some of the rightist organizations who are making complaint rather than the women herself saying that I have been induced or allowed, etc. So we did not anticipate at that point of time that in absolutely personal relationship of two individuals, society may have an interest and may object to it that the state will intervene and will need to give protection. Yesterday or day before I was watching on NTTV that a couple from UP, Shahjahanpur or so moved to Delhi and moved to the Delhi court seeking protection because they are not safe in Delhi. I think this is terrible thing for any civilized, modern, progressive society that we do not allow to love birds to, uh, uh, you know, lead their lives the way they want. Why right. there be a need for protection, Sampad? You know, it is their decision and we, each one of us has to accept it. Right, right. See, uh, my, my question is, I mean, I again want to, yeah, Veena, you want to say something? Yeah. See, uh, the thing is this, that marriage is a civil contract. Okay, and the Special Marriage Act or any matrimonial provisions in that sense are civil uh, civil law. Civil law is not meant to uh, protect uh, people, I mean, against violence or against societal uh, uh, reaction. So what does the Special Marriage Act provide? The Special Marriage Act provides that if you follow the procedure, register your marriage, then uh, your and uh, the consequences of the marriage will be determined by uh, the special uh, uh, the special marriage act uh, itself so it, in that sense it need not i mean you know pro- it, there is no the, the role of the law itself is not to protect but like professor mustafa said that the s- situations have changed uh, uh, now and people seem to be watching and observing who's marrying uh, who and this is not what the law actually anticipates so you cannot expect the special marriage act to have such a, a such a provision and uh, uh, i mean this this is not merely in interreligious uh, marriages we've seen this in even in intercaste uh, marriages if uh, uh, you know and uh, if uh, 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 higher caste, so-called higher caste uh, um, a, a person is marrying um, someone from the marginalized uh, caste, etc. Then th- th- there have been several writ petitions filed over the years asking for protection uh, from the court because the family will, uh, uh, you know, will react. I mean, there have been cases of honor killing, uh, etc. But that's not actually in that sense the role of the civil uh, uh, law to uh, ensure that kind of a protection. Then that becomes the criminal law, which then the police and the state has to uh, protect. On the contrary, here what the state is doing is that they're, they're saying we're going to increase surveillance on this kind of uh, marriage. Now, what does the special, what is the procedure under Special Marriage Act actually envisage? If I'm getting married to somebody, I go fi- fill a form, I give a notice. That notice is actually meant to be merely put up on the uh, ma- marriage registrar's notice board. So that, like a professor said, if I'm previously married or I'm underage, etc., those things can be uh, checked. And registration has to be done by the registrar unless those essentials of marriage uh, uh, requirements are not complied with. They have to uh, register it. But over a period of time, what happened was that in certain states, I think they said, if it's an interreligious marriage, then parents will be uh, informed. I mean, even here uh, now, what are, what do these ordinances say? If it's an interreligious marriage, and if I want to convert, then I have to fill this form of declaration, go before the magistrate. The magistrate will uh, inquire. You put uh, uh, details uh, on that form of where is your address, what is your age, uh, all details of it, which actually then makes uh, the people who are, I mean, the the person who wants to convert, etc., extremely uh, insecure. So the the spirit of what uh, SMA etc uh, were meant to be is not only being diluted, but these laws are completely contrary uh, 
to it and the state wants to increase its surveillance and control into private lives of people uh vina uh, just uh, i just I, i just want to so uh, sort of uh, interrogate this 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 assumption that uh, these new laws are diluting the spirit of the special marriage act because uh, uh, well, i'm not really sure that uh, people were were not preferring the getting married under uh, the personal laws earlier as well because I, mean, i i am again coming back to this question of is that uh, the seed of uh, these kinds of new laws uh, in the in the, in the problems with the special marriage act itself because uh, the, the the ostensible reason for this new law is to curb uh, conversion religious conversion and why were people converting when the special marriage act was available to them one of the reasons given is that uh you don't have these kinds of uh, of 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 obstacles such as you know having to go through a notice period and and publicity and so on so you just convert and women seem to be more comfortable seeking uh, the protection of their husband's family uh, rather than expecting police protection from whoever might object so so the, the the conversions were sort of triggered by the necessity of having to go through this uh, what should i say this gauntlet that the special marriage act provisions puts you through and thereby drawing the attention of your relatives or community or family which you can avoid by just uh, converting and, and and having a personal law ceremony so isn't there a problem with the special marriage act provision which is sort of triggering the conversions and which seem to have now come up with this whole laws and ordinances in up and madhya pradesh is that not uh, a kind of a sequence which makes sense see one is that uh, like like they say in india that the woman doesn't uh, i mean you don't just marry your partner you marry into the family you marry the family itself so when it is marriage you're marrying into the family but of course when we comes when we come to rights then you're only uh, married to the uh, uh, to the partner but uh, i mean it's not just uh, the question of the procedure of uh, the special marriage act i mean the the society is so patriarchal and so uh, misogynistic then even when it is intercaste intercommunity interreligion it's always the woman who's kind of adjusting to the family that she is uh, going into i mean it's the woman who then marries into the family who leaves her natal home to go into the matrimonial uh, home i mean it's for for example if a, a woman eating non vegetarian food marries into a vegetarian uh, family it's often that then she gives up uh, non vegetarian uh, food so you're always in that sense accommodating the family that you are uh, uh, you are marrying into and so the so sma is not the only um, uh, only uh, problem secondly is that uh, under the hindu law uh for a hindu marriage to be valid then both parties have to be hindus um you know and i uh, j- don't believe that hinduism actually uh, recognizes conversion um in that uh, in that sense uh so i mean um, uh, so like uh, you see many uh, film stars and actors and actresses i mean you know where uh, it's a muslim and i mean it's a hindu and a non hindu or a muslim etc so they do the uh they do the nikah if the man is uh, a hindu then that nikah to my knowledge is not uh, valid then they do a hindu marriage and because one of them is non hindu that hindu marriage is also not uh, uh, valid and unless they have actually registered under the um, uh, special marriage uh, act so they i think it's also done um in order to appease families and to ensure that there is a there is a smoother transition for this woman who's actually going into uh, the family rather than uh, you know it uh, because of the hardships of special marriage act alone okay faizal would you like to add to that yeah, yeah i want to say two things sampat one uh, in many cases you know what they do that uh, the registrar himself will tell you that you go at x place where an rs samaj marriage will be performed and uh, they maintain a register so many people when they are marrying under special marriage act uh, because of the kind of uh, situation in which we are living today uh, the parties are forced to uh, you know adopt a uh, uh, hindu religion and have an rs samaj uh, marriage uh, this is one the other is is still in our mind since we think that marriage is a purely personal thing and which i think is the correct thing and correct de- description of this relationship special marriage act marriages are called sarkari marriages or government marriages 
and they are somewhat looked down in the society. And that's why many people do not register their marriages. They will have a private kind of ceremony, satpati, or uh, you will have a marriage like uh, nikah. So the acceptance of involvement of the uh, state institution in marriage is, is still very low in our society for an entirely different reason because they think that marriage is a personal thing why a state should be involved in it. Now what the state is trying to do that it is dictating terms and that dictation of terms is clearly in the teeth of right to privacy and the dignity of the individual and the autonomy of the individual and here as <coughs> here Veena is absolutely right that a state is becoming uh, too intrusive. You know, even religion in a modern, secular, progressive country is a private matter. So in which religion one believes, when one changes religion, is none of the business of the state. So when someone wants to convert to another religion, even say for marriage, what is the problem of the state? One may convert to another religion just because of marriage or for no reason. There is no authority under our law available to the state to examine the rationality of somebody's conversion. And strangely, many of these laws, more than half a dozen states in India have these anti-conversion laws, and they are all called freedom of religion laws, even though they curtail religious freedom. You see, word propagate in Article 25 was specifically inserted to pacify the Christian members and the Christian minorities, for them it is an article of the faith to take the uh, gospel to the other people. And then we got a highly reg regressive judgment from the Supreme Court, where Supreme Court of India said that uh, you cannot convert, so propagation does not involve conversion. I think when Supreme Court is interpreting all other fundamental rights liberally, and when right to privacy has now become uh, a fundamental right under Article 25, even this judgment uh, should be you know, reviewed. H.M. Sirvai Sampath, who is the leading constitutional authority, probably the best constitutional law expert in the country, he has said that this judgment is productive of great public mischief and must be overruled. Okay. Okay, uh, given that the Special Marriage Act is a, is a central act and, and the recent uh, anti-conversion ordinances are all happening at the, the state level, so, so how does this work legally? Does it, does it render the Special Marriage Act uh, meaningless or redundant? Or does the central act, given that the Special Marriage Act is a central act, does that override the impact of the state provisions? How does that work? Yeah, Veena, you want to go, go first? Uh, one is that actually there is, um, uh, uh, they occupy two different spaces actually. Uh, the Special Marriage Act says that, uh, I mean, interreligious marriages, you will uh, uh, you will register, I mean, uh, whoever chooses to mar uh, register your marriage under the Special Marriage Act may choose to do so. So that's a different uh, area. And these uh, anti-conversion uh, laws occupy a different space. So to that extent, uh, the, uh, the anti-conversion laws talk about conversion itself, which the Special Marriage Act does not concern itself with. So therefore, the two areas that they occupy are very uh, different and there is no conflict uh, between the two laws. Uh, just, just, just one second, just, just one second, Vina. Just one second, if I may interject. The anti-conversion laws, uh, even though, as you say, they may occupy a different space, they do uh, have the power to uh, declare a marriage as null and void, don't they? Uh, but that again then would not have uh, come under the Special Marriage Act because Special Marriage Act will come into operation only when you register a marriage under that. So uh, to that extent, there is no contradiction and conflict vis-a-vis uh, -vis Special Marriage Act as far as I, uh, uh, I see. However, I mean, generally, um, the court that, uh, I mean, uh, there are two kinds of uh, um, you know, um, orders. That is, one is voidable marriages and one is uh, void marriage. Now, void marriage would be, for example, if you're marrying under the Special Marriage Act, if the person has previously, uh, previously uh, living spouse, uh, you know, then then that marriage would be void uh, ab initio, as we call it, or void uh, per se. 
But now voidable would be that if it is against the consent of the person, then you file a petition in the court and say that I was forced to marry. Now, forced to marry is also not... Um, uh, you know, a mere uh, force, you have to prove that there was that kind of uh, pressure and that your consent to the marriage was, um, uh, um, you know, uh, was not uh, uh, was not a valid uh, uh, consent. So, to, I mean, so therefore you'll have to move. The problem with this is that it says that the court shall declare this as uh, null and void. You know, so to that uh, extent, it goes contrary to the existing matrimonial uh, laws. But there is no specific conflict vis-a-vis -vis, uh, the Special Marriage Act, unless Professor Faizan thinks otherwise. Yeah, uh, slightly. Uh, all these laws, you know, even though they are said to be made to uh, deal with the problem of love jihad, Nowhere in these ordinances uh, you see this expression love jihad because love jihad is a myth. Uh, Government of India in July 2020 has told parliament that uh, we do not have any definition of love jihad. No intelligence agency has found anything like love jihad. You will recall some, but that in Hadia, Supreme Court of India had ordered NIA investigation into love jihad. And that report also said that there is no concerted effort or a conspiracy, you know, uh, to convert people uh, and then marry them. That kind of thing doesn't exist. This has happened uh, in number of high courts in Karnataka, in Kerala, even in UP. Just one week prior to this ordinance, one UP government constituted SIT in Kanpur has concluded that there is no evidence of any systematic love jihad activity going on. Now, having said that, uh, I think the question which you are asking is, can a state law, uh, you know, override a central law? So this law, what it is trying to do by making it, you know, a conversion centric law, uh, it is not dealing with the question of uh, interfaith marriage per se. But remember that personal laws are in concurrent list. And since marriage is an essential component of personal law, to both center and state can legislate. But in case of a conflict, as you know, it is the central law which will prevail rather than the state law. They pass this anti-conversion laws invoking the state entry of public order. Now, public order is very much within the exclusive jurisdiction of the state uh, governments or state assemblies. But I think religion as such is a bigger issue. But this is how they invoke legislative uh, competence. What I am trying to say that how come through an ordinance you are doing it? Your power to make ordinance is only uh, in a this power is to be invoked only in an extraordinary situation when house is not in session and immediate action is required. Now, for a thing like love jihad, if at all such an animal exists in our society, you call a session of the assembly and pass a law. And if this law is contrary to central law, uh, uh, as you are trying to say, then the governor has to reserve this ordinance or this bill for the consideration of the president of India. Unfortunately, the governor has not done that. And you are having a situation where rule of law seems to be a big casualty in, uh, in uh, uh, the biggest state of our country. You know, people are getting arrested, people are getting harassed. And you have a case recently from a legal. You know, where a Muslim boy uh, had married a Hindu girl and then he converted to Hinduism. Now, as per this law, what the police has done in other cases, that they will put them in jail. They were not put in jail. They are rather given protection. So absolutely discriminatory uh, implementation of law in itself, I think, uh, is a reason enough for the courts to so moto take a notice. There have been some very progressive uh, judgments of the divisional benches of Allahabad High Court, where they have said that if there are two adults, the state has no business to dictate uh, terms to them. 
and uh, they are entitled. But in spite of such progressive judgments coming from the high court, still the UP government went ahead and promulgated an ordinance which, in my opinion, seriously undermines uh, constitutional rights, particularly of Hindu women. Because the purpose of the law, I'm saying again, Sampath, is to discipline Hindu women. Uh, have there been any instances of uh, Hindu man marrying a Muslim girl and how that has played out? No, that, no uh, I have not seen in uh, the recently, but there must be many such cases. You know, uh, when you are in love, you don't ask somebody's religion or caste if you are really in love, isn't so? So there must be cases of that kind as well. Uh, 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 my submission as a student of constitutional law is whether it is a Hindu man or a Muslim man, uh, whether he is marrying a Hindu or a Muslim, is absolutely private decision of two individuals with which law or state should have nothing to do. Uh, to yeah, Veena, you wanted to say something. I think uh, the, uh, the, uh, the Allahabad judgment, which was just prior to the ordinance uh, being passed, I think there the, man, the boy was a Hindu and the girl was uh, a Muslim. Secondly, uh, in even in Hathya's case, where the Kerala High Court actually annuls her marriage and the Supreme Court then set that uh, aside. And what is interesting, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how they have envisaged this law to actually uh, play out. Uh, because uh, what you're what you're doing is that if they say that okay there is a conversion for the purposes of marriage that the marriage will be annul uh, will be null and void uh, shall be declared null and void by a court and on a petition filed by either of the parties so thankfully at least they don't have some third party can go and get it uh, annulled because a complaint can literally be filed by anybody from the family and uh, we know that we know that in cases of uh, you know when there is a, a love marriage intercaste interreligion etc then um, families then ob- always say that it is against the consent of the woman we constantly infant- infantilizing women in these situations um, like uh, a professor said but now what you're actually doing is, you know, once the family, once this happens and the family comes in and um, like in the case of Hadia too, wanted to take uh, possession or custody of this adult person and thereby again further infantilizing uh, her, then there will be actually pressure on her to file a petition in the court. So the pressure was not actually to uh, uh, marry in most cases. But now the pressure will be to actually file a, uh, a case uh, in the court saying that uh, uh, annul my uh, marriage, uh, you know. So, I, I mean, I really don't know how uh, what these people had in their mind when they were drafting this law. Okay. So, uh, how, how would uh, is it possible at all to amend these anti-conversion laws so that they cease to be uh, patriarchal? And uh, anti anti women, or, or should they be should they deserve to be uh, scrapped wholesale? They have to be scrapped wholesale. Like uh, Faizan, religion is uh... no. I would say that these laws must be repealed. Yeah, please go ahead, Vina. No, sir. I mean, like you said, uh, religion is a personal choice. It's not for the state to intervene to say which religion I should uh, uh, follow. And we know the history of uh, conversions in in uh, in our country. Um, they were in a way also to get away from very oppressive uh, situations. So uh, these laws ought to be repealed. So, so I can add, uh, Sampath, two more things. One, this whole uh, love jihad bogey is now almost 90 years old or so. It was in 20s, you know, a number of people in UP started writing you know, that there is a concerted conspiracy to outnumber Hindus in this country by marrying Hindu women and then producing, you know, a number of children. So uh, it is a work uh, by the rightist organizations over the last nine decades that it has now suddenly become uh, such a big issue. But more than that, I want to add two more things, that these laws are problematic. Because, you know, we have a scheme of giving punishments under our general law of the land, which is Indian Penal Code of 1860. But the way the enhanced punishments are provided in these laws, you know, marrying a woman of another faith or even conversion 
we are now equating it with conspiracy, with waging war, with abating mutiny, with uh, having in our possession, you know, weapons to counterfeit coins of India. I think uh, something is seriously wrong with our legislators that they do not look at for what offense, what punishment can be given. And my last point is that in all these discussions, one is patriarchy, of course, which is uh, all over. But more than that, I think this sanctity of marriage, as if marriage is something, you know, big, uh, uh, is incorporated in laws, including a Special Marriage Act. So there is a provision in the Special Marriage Act in Section 29 that you cannot file a petition of divorce within uh, one year of your marriage, except when there is extreme hardship. If marriage is a civil contract, and if parties think that they cannot live together and they are not compatible with each other, why this restriction? I think even our courts are over, you know, over uh, emphasizing this whole element of saving a marriage. Saving a marriage should not be, uh, you know, uh, your uh, main goal. Your main goal should be that the two individuals happily live together. And if they cannot happily live together, let them gracefully walk out of a painful marriage. I think in all our laws, you know, I know cases where people were married just for a day and their divorce proceedings are continuing for 17, 18 years. And then Supreme Court is invoking its power to do complete justice under Article 142 to dissolve that marriage. I think too much of importance to somehow sustained marriage uh, should not be the concern of the public authorities, should not be the concern of the court, and should not be the concern of law. If marriage is working fine, if it is not working and people want to walk out of it, let them walk out of it gracefully, protecting each other's uh, you know, rights and respecting each other. There are two individuals who may be you know, perfect human beings individually, but if they cannot make a team, let them go out. And also, right, I think that's uh, I think the, the 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 heart of the whole. Uh, yeah, yes, Vera. No, and I also think that uh, we need to stop and think. I mean, you know, especially the youngsters, as to where are, where is our uh, legal system moving towards. I mean, we are here thinking of, uh, you know, uh, seeing if possibility same, same, possibly same-sex marriages can um, happen, if marriages can become contractual, if they can be, um, you know, civil unions, if we can have matrimonial property. And, we, and here comes the law in, in 2020, which actually controls, uh, you know, which religion that you uh, follow when you intend to uh, marry. And and uh, ta and decides for people who you who you uh, fall in love with and who you don't. I mean, this is not two steps back. This is hundreds of steps uh, back. I mean, is this the modern uh, country or legal system that as youngsters uh, would imagine? I mean, you know, you see a society where I mean, you see films, you see uh, uh, people outside. I mean, you see that um, uh, the the youngsters are changing. I mean, they're more vocal. They're talking about their rights, their sexualities. That's that's one part of the country, and in another part, you have this completely regressive uh, uh, laws. I mean, you know, which is uh, I mean, which is uh, one eighty degrees opposite of where I think the youth of the country would want to go. I entirely okay. agree with uh, Veena. You know, these laws are simply trying to colonize life of an individual. They are an effort to discipline the sexuality and bodies of Hindu women. And I think Hindu women should be in the forefront of uh, opposing these laws. Right. Just to wind up, a uh, last question where both of you can uh, chip in quickly. Uh, so how do you see uh, the future of uh, love? in India and the future of the Special Marriage Act specifically? That's my question. Uh, Faizal, you can go first. No, I, you see, no law or no state will ever be able to come in way of two lovebirds. It's their choice. They are only trying to make their life difficult. Ideally, we should facilitate if two people are in love with each other, that let them live together. Isn't so? 
so by passing these laws we are creating obstructions in way of love look the kind of opposition we recently had of this tanishk ad it was a uh, perfect good uh, ad you know uh, for any civilized society but we created so much of pressure that they had to withdraw it. so let us promote love let us not uh, promote you know enmity and hatred and marriage is such a nice institution of two people coming together let them come together the way they want to come together we are nobody you know uh, uh, to dictate terms to them right and veena as a feminist one i did have problems with the tanishk ad so it was extremely patriarchal uh, you know i mean the construction of the woman and the marriage and the family and somewhere i think we continue to believe that a marriage is a patriarchal institution that con- that controls uh, women but i do hope people continue to um, love and live i mean but somewhere uh, our society is such that we do look for um, uh, similar uh, people you know similar food habits similar cultures because uh, uh, we feel that otherwise uh, you know families will uh, not get along and this will families will not give uh, consent but i do hope that when the state takes laws to such an uh, extreme uh, end i mean for example like uh, i mean like we know that many state as and the nia has investigated and seen if there is something called love uh, jihad and there's been no data to prove that there is a conspiracy called uh, uh, love jihad and that uh, the youth who to me represent a very modern world i hope when they see that it's being pushed uh, to this extent to this regressive uh, way will actually um, act uh, against and voice their opinion to say this is not the uh, manner in which we want the state to uh, govern us i mean not uh, not regarding the clothes we wear or who we love and who we uh, marry because then you're taking away that very um, sense of uh, being human uh, you know and being a rational uh, human and i do hope people are able to see that right as uh, as uh, as you put it vina it is this is not the space for the state uh, to come in and uh, try and uh, tell people what to do and as faizan rightly put it the state will never be able to uh, dictate uh, two lovebirds who are determined to be together Uh, thank you so much faizan vina for for your inputs and for sharing your views and thoughts on this really hot topic today thank you so much thank you sampath and thank you vina nice meeting you thank you very much sampath and thank you sir